Welcome to the Modern Merriman Podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merriman is a podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian laypeople will rightly divide the word of truth. Well, Tom, we're back. It's great to see you, brother. Yes, and uh, once more we have our special guest, but for those who uh, weren't able to listen to the uh, previous episode, why don't you reintroduce him? Yes, we have the privilege of having once again with us uh, Dr. Sam Renahan, who is a pastor of Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in La Mirada, California. He's also the author of various books such as Deity and Decree and Crux, Moors, and Fairy, a primer and reader on the descent of Christ. Sam, it's great to have you with us again, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, John. Uh, today, we want to talk about more about the kingdom of God and focusing more specifically on Christ's kingdom and uh, its relationship to the church and questions like this. And so, Sam, how would you discuss the nature of Christ's kingdom? How does it relate to the church? And, and then with that, how does it relate to the world? In the previous episode, <clears throat> we talked about the fact that although God has a general uh, not just authority, but active sovereignty over all things. He has established uh, specific kingdoms through covenants. He has delegated dominion uh, to man through covenants. And so God rules over those kingdoms, but he has given man uh, authority and, and responsibility within more specific kingdoms. And so one of those that we discussed was the kingdom of Christ. And so if we want to know about the nature of Christ's kingdom, one way to interrogate that or investigate that is to say what has been promised to Christ or what has been covenanted to Christ. Uh, no doubt, by virtue of his deity, Jesus Jesus is God. And so he has that general authority and sovereignty and dominion over all things. Uh, but as the God-man, as the mediator, uh, Jesus Christ, he has been given a kingdom uh, that we can discuss now more specific than that general kingdom. And so that is what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of Christ. And if we look at what has been promised to the Son, then we really get into a discussion of the covenant of redemption. And in, in the scriptures, we find that uh, a, a people is promised to the Son if he becomes incarnate, if he pours out his life as a ransom and pours it out unto death. Then and therefore and therein and thereby he will be exalted and he will be glorified and he will be rewarded and all of his people will also benefit from the blessings that he has won. And of course, we look at passages like Isaiah 53 especially, but many others to, to establish such a thing where promises are made to the Son. Uh, and, and so these promises constitute our idea of what Christ's kingdom is. He will be a ruler over this people. He will be their savior. He will be their prophet. He will be their priest. <clears throat> and so the kingdom of Christ uh, is that, that realm and that people that belong to him by virtue of his mediatorial work. And so how does this relate to Christ's church? Well, then it just is Christ's church. Uh, Christ's church is that realm over which he rules, that realm in which he is both prophet and priest and king. Um, but, but we can say more than that because the Father has promised to the Son not just a people, but the whole world. And so when we talk about Christ's kingdom, this will eventually mean all creation. 
Uh, Christ's dominion will extend to all things, but he will effect this. He will. He has subjugated some of his enemies uh, in a in a definitive but provisional way, but he will return to defeat all of his enemies and make every knee bow to him, the one who has received the name above every name. And so at the consummation, we will see all things as Christ's kingdom. But until that time, in the not yet, uh, we find that the church is Christ's kingdom in this world. The church is Christ's kingdom from the future age manifesting in the present age. And so the way in which it relates to this world is that it is, as so many have said, and using Jesus' own words, it's in the world, but it's not of this world. The church is a, a distinct thing from what we talked about in the last episode, distinct thing from the kingdom of creation. Although it exists within the kingdom of creation, it's distinct from it. And so Christ's kingdom, from our perspective, is the church, and the church is not the world, though it is, of course, in the world. That's uh, really helpful, uh, Sam. And I, I, of course, I know one of the uh, main passages often uh, appealed to uh, is uh, Jesus' own words in John 18, of course, verse 36, uh, when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And so we have that uh, that, that own understanding coming through here uh, in what Jesus said. As Can well. I jump in and ask a, just yeah. a clarifying question, Sam? When you say that the kingdom just is the church, I take that that you're referring to the the universal church. So it's the the kingdom just is the people of the new covenant, right? So how would you how would you state the relationship of the kingdom to the local institutional church? What is the connection, the difference between those? If, or distinction sure. is is there one i mean some people have used good illustrations like an outpost or an embassy uh to where <clears throat> jesus has authority over all his people but his people gather in specific places his people uh collect themselves in in specific places under his rule according to his rules and those are what we call churches and so each individual church would just be one more manifestation. It would be one more instance of Christ's kingdom. And one of the beautiful things about the, the gospel and his kingdom is that that transcends all, excuse me, geographic, cultural, all, all boundaries. Uh, it, it's, it's not based on anything other than faith in Christ and obedience to his rules and so how would each individual church relate to that? Well, it would just be another, as I said, another instance of Jesus' people collecting themselves in the organization that he has set down uh, in his word and through his apostles. Maybe you were thinking of more than that, and I'd love to hear from you, but that's that would be my quick answer. Well, I, I was also thinking you know, about the, the, hu the human authorities in the church who are supposed to lead according to Christ's authority, and yet they are not identical with Christ's authority. And also, just thinking about the, con the, the fact that though the church ought to be composed only of true kingdom members, as a matter of fact, it is actually a mixed body, the covenanted instituted church. And so, I don't know, you were already sort of addressing that, but I wondered if you wanted to 
go into that a little further. Yeah, I was I was thinking we would discuss that in the next question, actually. <laughs> then that's what we will do. Let's discuss it in the next Tom's question. jumping ahead, but that's okay. He can can't wait to get to that. <laughs> well, then let's let's just enter in uh, when we get to this whole question of, you know, who belongs to Christ's kingdom. And again, we can add into that. Then how is uh, how is this kingdom led? Uh, I think that'll get to the to, to the distinctions. Tom's wanting to uh, jump the gun here a bit. So if we ask the question, who belongs to Christ's kingdom? Again, we could ask the question, who's been promised to Christ? Uh, who were covenanted to him as a people? But let's think of it two ways. Who belongs to the kingdom of Christ outwardly from, from men's judgment? The, what we can perceive outwardly, all those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, those would be the people who outwardly belong to Christ's kingdom. They have, they have confessed him as Lord. They have believed in the gospel. He has raised from the dead. He, he did what he said he would do. He is who he said he was. And they've been baptized in his name. They've, they've been publicly marked. God's promise has been declared to them, and they, they believe in it. I am a disciple of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm a disciple of God and a subject of Jesus Christ. So outwardly, all those who confess with their mouth, believe in their heart, and are baptized in the triune name of God belong to Christ's kingdom. They are regarded as as Christ's people. Now, as you said, because the kingdom exists in this world and is subject to the influences and the imperfections of, of that reality, Inwardly, we can say that inwardly, all who really and truly have been born again and are united to Christ are those who be who belong to Christ's kingdom rightly and truly uh, and vitally. And so not all who say, Lord, Lord, not all who confess his name are truly those who belong to him inwardly. And um, we, we discern those as best we can, but we, we are imperfect and we can be deceived and people can deceive themselves. Uh, and so that's why we baptize based on profession of faith. We don't baptize based on regeneration because we don't have regeneration goggles. Well, I don't have any. Um, I, I <laughs> bid on some on eBay, great. but someone outbid <laughs> me. So no, just kidding. It also, uh, it also shows as Baptists that we can make an internal external distinction when, when we're talking about the church and, and the kingdom, uh, which, which is, um, important for us to to remember as well in discussing these things. So, right, and, and it's important that. to make the qualification that when we talk about outward or inward, we're not um, we're not making that a feature. We're really making that a bug in a sense. Um, it, it's sometimes better to talk about true and false instead of just saying, well, you know, it has these two levels of membership as a feature, and then that sort of gives a comfort level to those who are just in it outwardly. Uh, perhaps those who are just baptized, you know, you know what I mean? Hmm. Um, So we don't just, we don't just say the church has an outward and inward. That would be recognizing something about the church. That would be acknowledging something, but it wouldn't be confessing as a doctrine. This is the way it should be, um, et cetera. Hmm. So just pressing for precision to make sure I understand how you're thinking about it is would you say would you make a distinction between those who are maybe in the sphere of the kingdom or under the influence of the kingdom which might include those who give false professions such as judas uh who who has maybe been baptized and is under the the rule of the church in some way and yet is not a true believer 
would you would you say that perhaps they're under the sphere of the ruler of the, of the kingdom whereas only those who are new covenant members who are regenerate united to christ vitally uh, are in the kingdom or would you not make that distinction would you say the kingdom has a twofold you know membership or something how would you no i i believe it is important i think you're right to to make statements about the reality of those who make false professions um they may be false professions but they're real <laughs> it really happened you mm-hmm. know i use the example in my book of i think i do i don't I don't remember if I took it out. Anyway, if you go if you go to another country and you commit a crime there, uh, and they come and the police come to arrest you or, and and to prosecute you, you don't say no. You can't do that because I'm a citizen of another country. They'd say yeah, but you committed that crime here. You really right. did that thing here. And so also, when a, a false profession is made in the church, we don't say well, what can we? We can't do anything to that person because they're not. They don't truly belong to the church. What we'd say, they did a real thing in a real place under real authority. They yeah. they really, they really falsely professed faith, uh, yeah. and that is a, a real crime against the the king in whose kingdom they have committed this crime. And so they're liable to the discipline of this church, uh, and so therefore we don't just say, well, I guess they're not of the church, so we can't discipline them. No, we say they were regarded as in this church. And now we will use discipline to manifest, to openly show that they do not belong to it unless they repent, of course. So we need to be careful to acknowledge the reality of false professions while also acknowledging them as false professions. Mm-hmm. So we say, yes, Judas did this in the kingdom of Christ or, or this uh, excommunicant did this in the kingdom of Christ. But in so doing and in their unrepentance, they have shown themselves to, to be what John says, they went out from us because they were not of us. Uh, and so we, we have to be careful there. So would you see then in some way the kingdom of Christ as uh, larger than the uh, invisible church since we have um, false professors in that jurisdiction or or under the authority in that way? Or, or how would you uh, relate uh, that more fully? In you know, light like the, of the, this the reality, parable, I'm thinking of the parable of the net that gathers up all these different, you know, fish, and then the the good and the bad are sorted. Mm-hmm. Would you take that as that? Like, I think it's the same question John is asking that the kingdom actually does itself gather up believers and unbelievers, but but unbelievers are a bug, as you put it. They should- yes. Yeah, absolutely. Or the wheat and the tares. You know, there will be false professions. There will be unbelievers. There will be virgins without oil. There will be wedding guests without garments, uh, etc., who may not be sifted and sorted until the angel reapers <laughs> come for them. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, that doesn't relieve us of the responsibility of church discipline. <clears throat> but to answer the question more specifically, it was saying, so is the kingdom of Christ broader than just the elect? And yeah. I think we can say yes. Um, the all those who profess him, the, all those who bow the knee to him now, uh, they are liable to his to his authority in the kingdom of Christ. Of course, they're liable to his authority as God. But if you're baptized in the name, if you confess him as Lord and and say that you believed in your heart, uh, then there's greater judgment for you if you then turn your back on Christ. It, if unbelief is condemned in the scriptures. Uh, how much worse is it to have light and to sin against that? You know, Jesus makes this point. He says, woe to you in his earthly ministry. Woe to you, Jewish cities, who have seen my works and who have heard my words, 
when those you regard as so wicked would have repented immediately if they had seen such things. And so receiving light, uh, receiving the benefits of the kingdom outwardly, being witness to them uh, makes you not, you're, again, you're not excluded from punishment for that because you show yourself to be false. You incur greater judgment on yourself for having been a false, uh, a, a goat, a, a false sheep. So the kingdom does extend to those persons, and they are liable for all that they do within that kingdom. But they show that they they were not true members, or that they were not they did not uh, rightly belong to it uh, all along. That's helpful. Well, you know, thinking again a little more earlier, I mentioned John eighteen and and Jesus' words about his kingdom. Um, but uh, how would you then understand the if if uh, his kingdom's not of this world. Uh, the weapons in that sense then of the kingdom are not of this world. What, what are the weapons then of Christ's kingdom in this world uh, as, as he's talking about and as we're reflecting upon uh, the way this kingdom, um, you know, advances uh, in, in this age? In the Great Commission, Jesus tells the disciples, the apostles to make disciples and to baptize those disciples, and then to instruct those disciples in all the things that I've commanded you. And Jesus promises to be with them in all the things that he has commanded them. When you are going to the nations, when you are baptizing them, when you are teaching them, when you are performing these duties, I will be with you to the end of the age. And so Christ's presence and power is promised to those who do the things that he has called the church to do. And so that is the way in which they will advance the kingdom, and that is the way in which they will be victorious because Christ, by his spirit, will be at work in those things. And so we understand those as the means of grace, uh, as well as uh, church discipline, which in some sense you could even call, call a means of grace if you want to. Um, so when we, when we preach the gospel, uh, that kingdom of Christ powerfully in effectual calling destroys the dominion of sin in an unbeliever and gives them faith to believe and, and repentance to live unto Christ, that means that the kingdom of Christ and his power by his spirit has just defeated an enemy, has just won them over uh, to Christ. And so the gospel is, is a weapon. And then the, the, ordina the other ordinances and the means of grace uh, do fulfill the same functions, either of we sometimes talk about converting ordinances or 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 um, sort of sustaining ordinances, where Christ's grace, Christ's power, Christ's uh, yes, Christ's grace and power are are flowing through these things to us as we do them, or flowing through us as we do them. And the foolishness of the gospel is that that great weapon uh, that that tears down uh, enemy strongholds, the, the word of truth. And so God's word, especially the preaching of the gospel, is the weapon of his kingdom. Discipline is a weapon of the kingdom to, to purify it, uh, to, to cleanse it, to manifest false, false goats or false sheep, which would be goats, as, as much as we possibly can. Um, so if we ask what are the weapons of Christ's kingdom, in some senses it's, it is the same as asking how the kingdom advances uh, as the gospel is preached and converts are made as they are collected into new churches. Now you have a new group of Christ's people. You have a new outpost, a new embassy of the kingdom, a new, a new state of the United States, uh, wherever it may be. Uh, and 
So through all these things, that kingdom goes forth and, and Jesus powerfully, has, it's redundant, but he powerfully overpowers hearts uh, and he wins his people to himself and frees them from their bondage um, in the world. Mm. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you very much. And uh, what resources would you recommend in continuing to study uh, the biblical doctrine of kingdom? Aside from your own, of course, which I would recommend. Uh, so, in in my discussion of the kingdom of Christ, I I rely heavily on two books, which I would recommend to you. Um, the first is Herman Ritterboss's "The Coming of the Kingdom." It's a, it's a very large book, and so it gives you a lot of information as he considers the parables of Jesus and the teaching of the of the epistles on on um, the kingdom. So. A very extensive treatment of the kingdom is is very well handled in Ritterboss, The Coming of the Kingdom. When I read that in seminary, I thought, man, this is such a good Baptist book. <laughs> really, funny. though, I was, really? Like, I was thinking, whoa, I can't, I can't believe they assigned this. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then my, very much related to that is Gerhardus Voss's book, The Teaching of Jesus Concerning the Kingdom of God and the Church. Both of those you can just get PDFs of online for free, or you can buy them and read them. Uh, and Voss's treatment is much shorter. Um, it's a little bit more focused on, as the title goes, the teaching of Jesus concerning the kingdom of God and the church. But I find it to be very helpful, very useful, and I think very much what what I would call very Baptist. But I don't, I don't mean that in any. Um, I'm not trying to pick a fight with that. I just think he does a very good job. Uh, in, in that doctrine, in that yeah. book. Well, I really appreciate our time together, Sam, and, and uh, hope that we can all continue to not only grow in our understanding of uh, the kingdom, but, uh, but rejoice in the privilege of being those who, by grace and through faith, uh, can enjoy uh, life in this kingdom forever. And so I want to thank you. Uh, for joining us and thank everyone for listening to the modern merriman podcast on the man of god network brought to you by covenant baptist theological seminary if you'd like to know more about cbts please visit us online at cbtseminary.org that's cbtseminary.org did i hear that that you have uh definitive proof that john owen was a baptist well, yeah, I went to Bunhill Fields. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Bunhill Fields, and I stood by his grave, and I said, "John Owen was a Baptist three times, and he didn't appear. <laughs> he didn't appear to contradict me." I said it out loud. I have video. It's I have video of it on Twitter. Uh, so, I mean, everyone knows if you say Beetlejuice, 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 he appears. So I went to John Owen, and I said, "John Owen was a Baptist three times in a row, and he didn't appear." So apparently, he's got no problem with it. Um, <laughs> that's the most scientific test I can administer. I mean, well, he, he would be now. So, oh no, yeah, mm. you're absolutely right. I mean, the glorification, <laughs> the glorification of the soul is instant. So. <laughs>